This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. You're listening to Mackie and Judd from the TCL Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. They've got great receivers. Cooks is a dynamic receiver. Cup is is really good. Woods is, you know, he looks fast and even better than a year ago. Obviously, Gurley is a hard running back with great speed to get to the perimeter. Their offensive line does a nice job. And I thought Goff took a jump from his first year to his second year, but I think he's taken another big jump here in his third year. There's no huddle offense. Uh, the things they do, get in the right plays, out of the right plays. So it'll be a great test for us. It was a humbling day for us, and specifically offensively, I thought they did a great job. You know, really after our first drive, um, they regulated us. I, you know, I put us in some bad down and distance situations, didn't make some very, didn't make very good calls, and you know, Coach Zimmer did, and those guys made plays. Isn't it crazy how young that dude is? What's he now? Thirty-three, like thirty-two, or something? Great offensive mind, man. It's crazy. He's a great it's offensive amazing. mind. And it's, it, I think, in age the, not important. But in the NFL, it's, it's you. You can't just be an X's and O's guy. You, you've got to be a leader. You've got to get fifty-three guys and a bunch of. You got to get a room of seventy people, basically, all on the same page. Mm-hmm. A lot of which, especially the coaching staff, are older than you and more experienced. And I find it pretty incredible that he's able to lead that way. And uh, and what the Rams have looked like the last couple of years. If, if there's any doubt. That coaching makes a difference. Jeff Fisher to Sean McVay and what the Rams have looked like the last two years. Oh my god! Night and day. I mean, they've gone from being one of the most vanilla, blah, stagnant, six, seven win teams to one of the most explosive teams on both sides of the ball in the league. Jeff Fisher at one time a good young coach. He was. He just got years ago. Yeah, true. Yeah, when when he took over, John Fox too. Same thing. He took over as the interim coach in Houston, and Jeff Fisher was a good young coach. And eventually, I think he just lost interest. Yeah. And then what happens, though, with when you get a Sean McVay who's that young, teams mistakenly around the league say, oh, we should go get a young coach, too. Yes. It's pretty rare that a guy can be that <laughs> can be that smart at that age and be that great of a leader. You can't just go get a young coach and hope that he turns out to be like Sean McVay. In fact, let's bring Matthew Collar in from Los Angeles, where he's going to be covering Vikings and Rams, 1500ESPN.com, and the Purple Podcast. Uh, Sean McVay and Mike Zimmer, interesting chess match last time around, and uh, expecting the same thing tonight, Matthew? Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, last time it was uh, advantage Mike Zimmer, and one of the things Zimmer did was brilliantly used his safety, Harrison Smith specifically. Uh, they worked them around all over uh, the field, pre-snap, and threw off Jared Goff. It seemed like he was very hesitant. They... Uh, also shut down Todd Gurley in the running game. He only had 39 yards rushing the last time they faced off, and that kind of took away the play-action game pretty early. And it was uh, 100% advantage the Vikings to hold the number one offense last year. It's only seven points, but you've got to think that Mike Zimmer and Sean McVay are going to both be dialing up different things for each other this time around. I mean, McVay is one of the smartest offensive minds. He has been for some time, even though he's a – a pretty young guy, but he's the one that everyone around the league tends to talk about as being uh, the guy who has the most 
innovative offense aside from maybe Kyle Shanahan. So it will be very interesting to see what Sean McVay dials up to try to throw off Zimmer and what Zimmer counters with. So given the events of the past week, Collar, what's your expectation from the Vikings' perspective for tonight? Well, I've got to think that they've got their heads together now after everything that they've gone through with uh, the Everson Griffin drama and so forth that uh, you know now they've had enough time to sort of process what happened there and look and, and see what happened against the Bills and kind of get over it quick. And, and I think maybe even going on the road helps a little bit with that to not be at home where it, it kind of just happened. So, you know, I, I think this, this is a team that is so talented that it shouldn't have days like that, but it's also so talented where they can overcome some things. They can overcome some injuries on the offensive line as long as they have a great defensive performance here against the Rams. I think that's what they're going to need, and, and they're going to need Delvin Cook in the lineup. They're going to need to be able to run the ball, and it's kind of a little bit like if the Vikings can win this game, it's more about going old school a little bit, controlling the ball and, and playing great defense, which you know I think that the Vikings, when they've been able to do that at different times, can win. So I I mean, those are kind of the keys right there, right? Can I get a like keys to the game graphic, Matt's keys to the game, whatever? I mean, that's uh, that's it. Get over what happened and try to control the ball and get as much pass rush on Jared Goff as you can. Collar's there it keys. is. Right there. There it is. Collar's, Collar's keys. Collar's keys. There it is. I missed the keys. <laughs> Collar, how can the Vikings and John Filippo offensively, where can they find – ways to expose the Rams defense. We know how good they are up front with with the two defensive tackles, but how how can they sort of I don't know I don't know if eliminate those two guys is the right word because it's going to be damn near impossible to do that, but how can they expose some of the weaknesses that might be in this Rams defense? Yeah, you really just have to kind of work around how good they are and and you know that you're going to get interior pass rush right away, and so you can kind of game plan for that a little bit. I mean, in part because they do not have a great edge rusher. They used to have uh, Quinn was very good off the edge, but now they don't have him anymore. So, uh, you know, they're sending guys that I think that even if it's backup tackles for the Vikings or some sort of shuffling here that they will be able to handle, it's more about, you know, can they get any running game going with the two guys in the middle? And then, you know, can they get Delvin Cook in the passing game going? Because I think he's the key when you're talking about a Rams team that does not have outstanding linebackers. It's one of their shortcomings. And then, you know, if you can get enough time for Kirk Cousins to throw the ball to Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, because, you know, they're going up against two backup cornerbacks here. And if this was a keep to leave in Marcus Peters, I think you'd be a lot more nervous. But, you know, those guys would even have trouble with Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, much less Troy Hill and Sam Shields. So I think, you know, you do have some mismatches there for John Flip to take advantage of, but that's all if they can actually get Kirk Cousins some time to throw and not ask him to do things that he can't do. So McVay was, was Kirk's OC in Washington for a couple of years, and in fact that's the time I believe that Kirk began to emerge. How much is that now potentially going to help the Rams to come back with a guy who knows Cousins this well, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that everybody who knows Kirk Cousins' shortcomings, like it isn't like some big secret. I mean, it's throw the guy off schedule a little bit and ask him to do things that he's not comfortable with, and he's going to have trouble with that. If he doesn't see the first read there or the, the, the obvious sort of progressions, that's when he has problems. And, and Sean McVay knows that. I think even Sean McVay alluded to that in an interview somewhere over the offseason that, 
you know, if you want to beat Kirk Cousins, that's really the only way to do it. So, I mean, what I would expect from Wade Phillips is that we're going to see lots of different rushes from lots of different areas because one of the things with an offensive line that's uh, sort of patched together is always the communication, and Pat Elfline starting his first game here. So if you're sending different linebackers and, and safeties creeping up and, and rushing and sending different pass rushes on different sides, that threw them off a little bit last week and sometimes a lot, and I would expect to see that again. Yeah. Uh, Sean McVay has to be one of the the most fascinating young coaches in the history of the game. I get that he is really the, I think he is the youngest coach in at least modern NFL history, but he does remind me a little bit of when John Gruden came on the scene you know, 20 years ago. Um, there's There's been others, but uh, that's that's a pretty pretty rare air that you're uh, breathing when you're that young and you command like he does and you're as creative as he is, don't you? I mean, are there other, any other comparables you can think of in the last 25 years? Yeah, I mean, Kyle Shanahan is definitely one of them, but he's not as young. But I think of him as being the same type of guy, the same type of offensive innovator who's now trying to bring it to being a you know successful head coach, but. You know, with McVay, I think a big part of it is not just how innovative he is offensively, but it also has to do with his sort of mentality toward leadership. And, you know, I remember him telling a story last year about when he got there that he involved their left tackle, Andrew Whitworth, in a lot of the decisions with the team because Whitworth is like 35 years old and has been around and has won a lot of games and is one of the best players in the NFL. And so he basically said, look, you know – a lot about this game, and he, and he gave the respect to his franchise left tackle, and, and I think that helped him a lot in the locker room. I think if a young guy comes in thinking he knows everything and that sort of thing, that uh, players, especially ones that are older than him, are not going to take it very well, but when you are able to put the right people in charge of the leadership of the team, that's usually what it comes down to. I mean, at different points, we would have said about Mike Zimmer, is he a great leader, is he a not a great leader, or whatever else, but what it often comes down to with the team is Harrison Smith, right, and, and, and those types of guys, and, and Teddy Bridgewater or Case Keenum or who's playing quarterback, you know, and I think Sean McVay understands that and empowers his players to be the leaders. Yeah. What's your, what does your gut tell you? Vikings are seven-point underdogs tonight. What does your gut tell Ooh, you? Wow. I think that's a lot. I, I think that they probably cover, but, I mean, this, this one strikes me as being kind of a back and forth, and, you know, can the Vikings really match up with what the Rams can do offensively because I don't think we see – a defense on the field that is as good as the number one defense in the NFL from last year. So uh, if I were trying to give you a prediction and score, I guess I would say something like Rams 24-21. But I think the Vikings will have an opportunity to bounce back from what happened on Sunday. Do we see uh, Cook and Reef, do you think? Uh, yeah, I think we see both. Uh, I saw Ian Rappaport say that they want Delvin Cook to be able to play. And Riley Reef, man, I mean – his toughness is pretty much unmatched. And, uh, you know, it, it didn't look great what he was going up against last week, but he's not going to face somebody like Jerry Hughes today. So I think he can probably uh, gut it out. And if he can't, then I will be very intrigued by what they decide to do on the offensive line, whether we see, you know, Brian O'Neill or if it's Mike Grammer's kicking back out to tackle. Uh, that'll be kind of a tough decision for them to make. I guess I wouldn't be surprised if we see O'Neill. Yeah, Matthew, great stuff, and uh, we've we've enjoyed your commentary from Los Angeles, and people can find your coverage from the game on 1500ESPN.com and the Purple Podcast later. All right, we'll see you later. See you. Thanks, fellas. All right, Matthew Collar. Uh, Tom Pelissero from NFL Network and founding father of 1500ESPN.com is going to join us when we come back here. Mackie and Judd live until 7 tonight, an extra hour because Vikings and Rams – 
kickoff shortly after seven o'clock, and then Vikings vent line after the game. So we've got you all covered here. But uh, Jug, go ahead. You got you got a friend on the phone lines here. I do indeed. Time talk to Mister Money Talk, Josh. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd are back. Okay, man. On 1500 ESPN. Back here in the TCL Broadcast Studios, here's a quick look at your traffic. 100 northbound, we have a traffic incident reported, uh, adding about eight minutes to your commute. That is uh, near Vernon Avenue in Edina. And uh, also 52 northbound in St. Paul near Eaton Street and Plato Boulevard. Uh, Eight minutes to your commute there. That is due to a crash. And also we still have that situation near the Wisconsin border, 94 eastbound uh, near the Wisconsin state line. Uh, Roadway is reduced to one lane. That is due to a crash. Expect about another half hour delay before they get that cleaned up. And 94 eastbound, we have a crash near 5th Street in Minneapolis, adding about uh, 17 minutes to your commute. Yeah, it's a problem. (laughs) We haven't had a home game on a short week since I've been here in five years. You know, but it is what it is. We go out and play the schedule however they do it. I know the statistics about going to the West Coast and on a short week and all that. So, you know, we did a, a study on preparing for a game on a short week, all those things, and that's why we're going out tonight after practice. Football. Yes, it is the football hour, Mackie and Judd. With Manny, and on for another hour tonight. We're on until 7 o'clock leading up to Rams and Vikings and Vikings vent line afterwards and streaming on Periscope and Twitter. Tom Pelissero from NFL Network and founding father of 1500ESPN.com. I want to know your thoughts on the four-minute video the league sent out today trying to clarify the calls that have been uh, been made on quarterbacks, uh, they didn't include any Clay Matthews footage, which I found suspicious, but did, do you feel like they helped or hurt the confusion here the first three weeks with that video today? It's difficult to say because, like with a lot of things, Phil, when it comes to officiating adjustments or areas of emphasis, everyone's first reaction, no matter what, is just to think that everyone involved is incompetent and they're ruining the game and everybody wants to get mad about it. This is certainly no exception. You've heard players and coaches within the league uh, express some of that same frustration. Uh, Really, though, this goes back to something that I know we've talked about on this show and that we've talked a lot about on NFL Network, which is that these are not fundamental changes in the rules. They're enforcing the rules that have been on the books for a long time a little bit more stringently, Uh, and they're doing that without really hiding the fact that it's to keep quarterbacks healthy. They know that's a big part of the game, uh, that they don't want those players to be getting hurt because it, it does have a, you know, a huge impact on the quality uh, of the game moving forward. So, you know, I think beyond the video, the video was just kind of, it was what, four examples, good, four examples, bad. Uh, beyond that, they're really reaching out to the clubs and officials about specific techniques. That's what it's all about is the techniques of what the officials are supposed to be looking for. So it's stuff like pile driving the quarterback, the Superman maneuver, which is where you hit the guy and then you put your arms out to the side so that you land on him. You didn't wrap him up, but you still land on him with all your body weight. Uh, pinning the quarterback's arms to his side so that you land on him and slam him to the ground. And then the scoop and pull, which, as you guys know, uh, rose to prominence with the Clay Matthews and Eric Kendricks calls a couple of weeks ago. You know, it really boils down to the competition committee. They don't want well, there's no appetite for them to say, well, now that's not a foul, but they do want to make sure that, okay, so we're talking about the scoop plus pull slash lift plus land on them with the body weight. You've got to hit all those points. All have to be present 
or they don't want the officials to call it. Bottom line, philosophically, they want officials throwing the flag if they're sure it's a penalty. Not maybe, not, well, I'm going to err on the side of caution. No, they want you to, to err on the side of throw the flag if you know that a flag can't be thrown, and if not, well, there's other avenues such as fines and disciplinary measures that can be taken to make up for any calls that might, that might not have been made. See, I was wrong. I thought the scoop and pull originated at Boomtown in Mankato, but... <laughs> That was an attempt at a stifled laugh there, if I've ever heard one. What is your expectation, sir, of uh, the Vikings tonight against the Rams, given what this team has been through since Sunday, basically? Well, it's a good question, Jeff, because uh, I think that last week was so out of character for what the Vikings want to be. You know, really the game got blown up once they're down 17 nothing. as Kirk Cousins pointed out to me the other day when I asked him about the lack of running attempts. He's like, down 17 nothing, you've run six plays. That's not exactly a place where you're going to you know be able to run the football a lot. It's still pretty striking when you look and you see that they matched an NFL record with six rushing attempts in the entire game, and two of those were uh, wins by Kirk Cousins. But what, how are they built? They're constructed to play really good defense, run the football, you know, own the clock, and then take the occasional deep shots, build the play-action game off of the run. Well, 17 nothing in the first quarter, 27 nothing uh, with, what, six minutes left in the second quarter. You're just you're, you're going to naturally become one-dimensional. So they got to somehow find a way to get back to playing the type of football that they want to. But they're going up against a Rams team that didn't even bother playing in the preseason, really, with any of their key players and still are hanging 30-plus on people week after week. they got a really smart head coach in Sean McVay, who's got that offense in particular, playing at a high level. Now, you do wonder with the key to leave out, Marcus Peters at best really limited uh, in this game because of injuries. Are they going to be... You know, is this going to be another game where they're trying to throw the ball a lot, push the ball downfield, get it outside the numbers? You may see some of that, but it sounds like uh, teammates believe Dalvin Cook is at least going to have some role in this game tonight. But they've got to get him going. I mean, that, that's who they are. They're, they're a team that's going to run the football. Everything else stems from that. No matter how much they paid the quarterback, it's about running the ball. It's about playing good defense, and they got to go up against the team in the Rams tonight on the road in prime time that happens to do those two things pretty well, too. Tom, on Sean McVay, how does a guy this young become this good of a head coach this early and have this sort of early success, winning the division last year, off to a great start this year? Now, the Rams obviously have a lot of talent, but for a guy his age, his at, at, you know, at that age, how does he come in and, and get this team to play so well so quickly? I've had that discussion with people going back to last year, Manny, because, of course, once you have success with a Sean McVay, everybody else starts looking around and going, okay, who's the next McVay? Who's, yeah. who's the next guy that we're going to be able to find in that same mold, 30-something, connect with players, you know, the young energy and all that? The thing is, you know, at, at 31, I think he is now, he, he's still pretty rare. You know, he had already had three years as, a, as an offensive coordinator. He called plays product of a football family everybody knows who his grandfather was really good communicator and you know i i know sean a little bit i mean he's he's mature beyond his age he's just he's a different type of a cat somebody who reminds a lot of people of a a, a young john gruden you know and he's earned their trust the way that they've found ways for instance to utilize the way that the, the helmets work and the radio and the helmets to be able to have him communicating they play an up-tempo style no huddle. They'll get to the line of scrimmage, and the coach can still be in the quarterback's ear, uh, even as they're lining up with any adjustments. I mean, that's 
that's within the rules. We're allowed to do that. They're, they've kind of used that uh, to their advantage here. And he also brought in a guy in Wade Phillips to run that defense who you know, really does not need a, a great deal of oversight. Not to say that Sean isn't involved in the defense, but with Wade's track record, uh, you know, it, he's been able to, to a large degree, kind of run that defense himself, own it, see the way they've adjusted their personnel, shedding uh, money where they had it invested in the inside linebacker, really paying up for cornerbacks, although, again, those two guys are both banked up right now. They're painted on the interior of the defensive line. That's that's all Wade. I mean, that's how he wants that uh, money spread around. So, and they had some talent. Let's also not forget that. They were the youngest team in the league for like five years running. Because they lost a lot of games, they had a lot of high draft picks. Now you have Jared Goff and you have Todd Gurley. They've made some other shrewd moves to bring people in. They've been really aggressive in paying out big money for guys like Indian Sue uh, in free agency, being able to make a trade for Brandon Cooks, make a trade for Marcus Peters. And part of that goes back to how young the Rams are and have been in recent years. If you know, everybody wonders how do they get all this under the salary cap? Well. If you looked out to 2019 and 2020, they had very little money actually invested because they had not, you know, paid a quarterback on a second contract. They'd gotten by with a bunch of different guys that haven't paid off yet. And because they've been young, you're just kind of saving money as you go. So they've had a lot of flexibility. That's allowed them to make some power moves here, and we'll see how they can keep the momentum going forward. Tom Pelissero, NFL Network. So uh, Sean McVay brought up in his conference call this week, and he didn't go – too in depth, but he did mention that the Rams have a clock management specialist for their game day operations. Uh, what I know, there's probably other teams that have this position either officially, you know, on their staff or in some unofficial capacity. But do you have any information on how teams are using, or the Rams specifically, clock management specialists in games? I, you know, I don't want to say every team because it's always you know you have to be cautious about painting with a broad brush. But I will tell you, a lot of teams have. Uh, build things in in terms of their analytics department, for instance, uh, in the past five to ten years that have run studies on that. I mean, I know certain teams have a card that lays out all these different timestamps. So you're not deciding, okay, there's two minutes, 36 seconds left, I'm down 10, and I got two minutes, so I use one now before the two minute warning. They've got all that stuff mapped out. Some teams are, you know, have co- the head coach able to be on the headset directly to somebody who's, um, you know, giving them information on those topics. We all know about Ernie Adams in New England and his unique spot that he has with Bill Belichick. Um, you know, there's different people, I think, with every team. And if anything, that's only growing. You know, they're doing more and more studies. There's only so much you can do with 60 minutes of clock time, but you know, whether it's some of those basic decisions or broader philosophies about um, game management and game planning. And, you know, even as we, this is a you know, bigger topic, but as you move forward here in the NFL over the next five years, there's going to be so much more that's going to be able to be done from an analytics perspective, and that's you know a, sort of a, a vague term that gets thrown around. But they have they've had GPS tracking or a, you know a sensor in the shoulder pads. A lot of teams have done that in practice for years, but in the past two three years they've had that in the pads on game day. That's where we see next gen stats using some of the national broadcasts, or you hear that referred to on NFL Network. That's all coming from the Zebra Technologies chip that they have in their pads. So. Last year, teams got their own data to find out what their own players were doing. This offseason, I think it was in May, teams got the data for the other 32 teams. So now you have this huge data dump, reams of information, and there are some teams that plan for it and are actively trying to incorporate it. 
in terms of knowing, for instance, you know, if you're you got this guy in zone coverage, you know that you know this is sort of the area that he's able to cover and how he moves. Stuff that we've heard of used in the NBA, certainly outfielders in baseball, is a little more of that. The football is so different because there's so many bodies on the field at a time and because so much of it is scheme and matchup based. But there are some things you can apply. You know, how what quarterback needs more velocity on certain types of throws than others. I mean, there's all sorts of things that people can do. And now, even as you get into, for instance, free agency, you won't just be going, okay, our scouts, what do they think of these three corners? Now you have some objective data, and the small teams are the ones who, in the coming years here, are going to figure out what can they, what information can they actually leverage to make themselves better. Yeah, and you combine that information, and it, this applies to all sports. That information with a human experience touch, I think, is the is the sweet spot. So, for people saying, "Oh, the analytics are ruining sports," and I think they're actually enhancing sports, except for baseball, where games take seven hours because we need to go oh, you don't enjoy that? seven pitches in every at bat. And I love baseball, but yeah. Tom Pelissero, NFL Network, and founding father of fifteen hundred ESPN dot com. Uh, where are you at this weekend? No game for me this weekend. This is my uh, quasi-bye week. I'm, I'm like the Redskins. I've got the only bye here. Nobody's too happy about it, but you just kind of you play to the schedule and you're given. <laughs> yeah. I actually will be uh, flying out Sunday night to L.A. and in the studio for all the shows, the aftermath, total access. We have something uh, like five hours of live program leading up to Monday Night Football. It's awesome stuff, so I'll be out there. On set, and uh, I know you guys will be tuned in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A- aftermath is my favorite new Football show name. It's like this. Football! Football! Yeah! yeah. Football! Yeah. 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 Yes. Thanks, Pelissero. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, boys. Tom Pelissero. I'm not uh, kidding. I watch. The aftermath. It's great. It's great stuff. I, I, I watch. They argue all the time. Father of 1500ESPN.com. I like that. Yep. <laughs> Once upon a time, Tom Pelissero and young Tom Pelissero yeah. and young Phil Mackey chasing around. I didn't like how he, how he glossed over that Boomtown reference by you though i mean there's more there well, so. he, he really like there's not a whole lot of incriminating stuff on him he got a little tipsy one night but we all did it boomtown <laughs> oh yeah no i just i mean boomtown if you mention boomtown you should tell a story or two about boomtown there's some uh, good stories uh, there maybe off the air mackie and judd resume things following these messages that's just about the most fantastic scheme i've had to date on 1500 espn now, back to Mackie and Judd. Hello, boys. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. So what do you think? <laughs> it's pretty cool, I guess. On 1500 ESPN. They've got great receivers. Cooks is a dynamic receiver. Cup is, is really good. Woods is, you know, he looks fast and even better than a year ago. Obviously, Gurley is a hard running back with great speed to get to the perimeter. Their offensive line does a nice job. And I thought Goff took a jump from his first year to his second year, but I think he's taken another big jump here in his third year. They're no huddle offense. Uh, the things they do get in the right plays, out of the right plays. So it'll be a great test for us. I got a question for you, gents. Is tonight the night, and and if so much hadn't transpired in the past few days, I think this would would have been a primary talking point, but it has not been. Is tonight the night that we finally see George Iloka? Um, I don't know. I I have no idea. But I I thought he would have have played by now. I have no idea why we haven't seen him yet. It seemed like Sunday would have been a really good day to have him out there. Yeah. The nickel package isn't working as currently constructed. And I have no reason to believe that all of a sudden there's going to be a complete turn there tonight. So if you were ever going to have changed that package up, give Harrison Smith more ability to roam, 
and play a guy at safety like Iloka, this would yeah. seem to be the, be the night to do it, right? Has he, has he just been bad in practice? I mean, he's not no he's idea. not injured because we haven't been seeing him on the injury report. And we don't know that. So You know, here here's how great the Vikings defense was last year as I uh, just kind of comb through some of the the measurables. So they've like the the eye test has been terrible, right? You say, well, why don't you put George Iloka in for God's sakes? Because something's you got to change something up. You're letting the Buffalo Bills run roughshod, but the Vikings are only uh, only uh, behind only five teams in uh, yards per play allowed. So if you just take yards per play allowed defensively, the Vikings are the sixth best team in the NFL. Uh, if you want to go to passing defense, how about passer rating allowed by opposing quarterback? The Vikings are eighth best. They've allowed opposing quarterbacks an 82.8. rating. And, and it's, it's, so it's almost like we have our defensive beer goggles on, the, but like the other way around. They were so dominant last yeah, year. The standard has been raised. Yeah, that anything less than I – mean, it's still a top 10 defense through the first three weeks based on most measurements. And, and we look at it and say, this is garbage. This is garbage because of what we got used to last year. But we just have, we're going to have to get used to them not having the same defense as last year. Because if like, like I said on yesterday's show, if Everson Griffin's not on your team, you're not – you're not going to maintain the best defense in the NFL. Like what? His his backup's going to come in and maintain that level of performance. You're not going to lose a leader like Terrence Newman, and all sure. of a sudden, you know. So, but I, I think what we're watching here isn't a garbage defense. We're watching something other than the most dominant defense in the NFL. But you can see where, where this team is being beaten at least fairly consistently. And I gotta think that if you went to a nickel package that included three safeties instead of three corners and, and gave Smith more ability to roam, that you'd put yourself in a position to at least stop those underneath plays that seem to be gouging them the past three games. Yeah. So it just would seem to be the night that if you're going to do this, Iloka gets to play. Mm-hmm. How do we feel in general about Los Angeles having two NFL teams now? Now that we're now that we're into it, I can I can. Maybe it's because the Rams are no longer the most boring team in the league. Move like the they Chargers. were under Jeff Fisher. Move the Chargers home. Yeah, I could do Go without back the Chargers. The Chargers should not be in L.A. Go the Chargers should Diego. be in San Diego. They should have gotten a new stadium deal done. But the owner just, they're playing in a soccer stadium. Come on. Well, and, and they're going to move to, to the, the Rams stadium as well, correct? Yeah. So in, that they're both in, going to play home. They don't want two teams. But there's something cool about, just for the Rams specifically, I love the fact that the Vikings are going to Los Angeles for a primetime nationally televised game against a high octane team. You know, the the Rams the Rams haven't been high octane since the early two thousands greatest show on turf. Yeah. So and that was a St. Louis team. And I just kinda I, I, I think sports are more fun when you have villainous big market teams. And I think the Rams could be headed toward that territory where you get a villainous LA market team. With yeah. is it Stan Kroenke still the owner? Yeah, he's a horribly a, unlikable owner. He's a terrible human being. Yeah. You know what I think is really cool too is they're going to be. I saw a tweet and I retweeted it that they're going to be wearing their their throwback jerseys, the the old blue and like nice. yellow gold tonight? jerseys. Yeah. Oh, tonight that's... and I think for the rest of their home games this season. Like that's how it should be because that those yep. those those uniforms those are the L.A. Rams. I've always said this. There's no NFL team that has ever improved their look. Every old school look is better. Tampa Bay, all right, the creamsicle, maybe. But yeah, I love I, the creamsicle. I, I like the creamsicle. I do too. Yeah. But think about it. Old school Vikings, superior. If you're a Bucks fan, you probably look at those uniforms and just it just screams futility but I'm because they, they were like never good wearing those uniforms, but those uniforms were dope. I'm trying, I, I, think, like I think Judd's right. I'm, Chargers, I'm trying to think of baby a team. blue, 
Yeah. That, that blue? Yeah, when they, they were in the dark, 60s? Dark blue wasn't an upgrade oh. over that. Uh, the Patriots? Pat the, pa- the, Pat the Patriot? Yeah. Great look. Although we associate the... I say the new the new Patriots uniforms, which are now twenty four years old. Yes, yeah. we associate that with championships and Super Bowls, but that's just perception. But give me Pat the actual back. uniform. I think was better with those pink, want, those weird pink uniforms. Are kind of cool. I want Pat back. I want the Giants to go back to the. Uh, they they did this a couple times with the color rush jerseys the last couple of years, where they went back to the old Giants dark, on the side. dark blue helmets with the with the Giants on there. Lawrence Taylor, right? Yeah. yeah. What about those the Bron- the Broncos going away from also bad? The was it the guy snapping the football? No, that was Patriots. The, the Broncos, the, the D with the the D with the, the little with yeah. the little Bronco on there. Yeah, step down. The change was a step down. Yeah, I, you might be right. Well, the Falcons used to wear. Did they wear red jerseys back in the day? The Falcons. Yes, I think they. And did. now they're red they jerseys the black and red jerseys. helmets, like back in the seventies. Okay. And I, I kind of like the black better than the red, but that's really splitting hairs. I think Judd's point yeah, is a valid one here. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> improved. Bring back the creamsicle. <laughs> yeah, the Vikings haven't really changed their uniforms a whole lot. I mean, the logo is still the same, and they've changed some of the the stripes and some but of the... But their throwbacks were great. They, they, they were throwbacks in home games in, was that, 2009 and 2010? The color tone of, like, the purple yeah. has kind of changed different. over the years. I yeah, like the darker purple. And darker. Yeah, I do too. Are we ready to try the full Color Rush purple again? Or did we put that to bed five years ago? I think Oof. they put it to bed. Yeah. I think Pat, when Pat Williams tried to take the field and looked like he was a big, hey, everybody, it's Pat the Dinosaur. The, the color rush I ones they were you. a couple of years ago when they uh, when they played the Cowboys on that Thursday night. Oh, yeah. They had the, the gold. The gold lettering. I didn't. I didn't like. People that too bought much. those. I still. Yeah. I still uh, see those around the stadium. I didn't on like game those day. too much. You know what? I will credit the NFL. They went from two, three, four years ago marketing these garbage Thursday night games with, but the uniforms are different too. All right, screw it. Let's just put the Rams and the Vikings in prime time and let two two good teams go to right. war. What was the first color rush game? Was it Bills and somebody? And they basically wore I, Bills and Jets and and colorblind and people colorblind couldn't, people couldn't, couldn't tell, tell the difference. Yeah. <laughs> the right. NFL had a problem. A lot of colorblind yeah. okay, people. Well, how many colorblind people are there? What what percentage of people are colorblind? <laughs> well, Honestly, there's probably a decent well, amount that like football and we're like, who the hell's playing? Well, remember the Jaguars and Titans played a color rush game, and I think it was in Jacksonville, and the Jaguars were wearing like this mustard. like mustard <laughs> colored yeah, like right. gold mustard color. It was just gross. <laughs> And the Titans were wearing like the baby blues, and it was it was it was oh, bad. Man. Uh, we'll wrap this hour with Roycey <laughs> when we come back, but we still have another hour to go too. We're on until seven o'clock because it's uh, Vikings and Rams tonight, and we feel like doing another hour just leading up to kickoff. Beer show tomorrow night. Usually beer show at six o'clock Thursday. Beer show tomorrow night at six o'clock. Mackie and Judd are back. I have indeed been uploaded, sir. We're online and ready on fifteen hundred ESPN. Quick look at your traffic brought to you by the Better Business Bureau 35W Northbound. We have a crash uh, near Highway 10 in Moundsview, adding about five minutes to your commute there. And, uh, of course, we still have that uh, situation there in the uh, Wisconsin border. If you're traveling 94 eastbound, uh, that uh, roadway is reduced down to one lane, adding uh, quite a bit to your commute. So be on the lookout for that if you're headed towards Wisconsin. Join Better Business Bureau at the Torch Awards for Ethics. Join BBB's uh, Torch Award. BBB's Torch Award embodies Better Business Bureau's mission of advancing trust in the marketplace. 
14 businesses will be honored at U.S. Bank Stadium October 24th. Purchase tickets at bbb.org slash Minnesota. Thank you, Manny. We're, we're going to pause the football hour for just a second here before we do another football hour leading up to Vikings because... Is Jimmy leaving? Can Tibbs let him go? These are the days of our wolves. Yeah. All right, Royce, do you believe this from Hoop Central on Twitter, uh, citing a Kevin O'Connor, Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer, uh, yeah. apparently repeat brother? Yes. Well, that's you okay. Might as, you might as you well start, always, start somewhere. You can always ask. Uh, yeah, what the heck? You can always ask. And ask is okay. Well, they're playing hard to get, that's for sure. Yep, yep. <laughs> Might be they the got, understatement of all time. Everybody's in a panic. You got two, you know, you, got, you, you get them in here. What the hell? A hockey team drops the puck and they're playing two days later, right? Yep, so, uh, that's true. Might as well, uh, you know, I I don't know what's going to happen here, but uh, I Miami, it's everything you read about the, the Miami thing is their boats trying to get rid of their garbage. <laughs> Right. Miami wants to. Miami wants you to take Tyler Johnson. Well, that ain't happening. Now, if Philadelphia wants him, they could certainly, uh, you know, get him. And uh, they they got all these. They got about six or seven of these guys. They could give up a couple of them for Jimmy Butler. Could they? Robert who's Covington. The who's the Who's the young shooter? Uh, the 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 kid that's Richardson. Uh, no, no, no. I'm talking about Philadelphia. The oh, oh, oh. Well, there's Zach. Robert there's Robert Covington, who I like a lot. He's a 3-and-D type of yeah, guy. He no, can shoot no, and play defense. Zach is the, the younger guy. I can't think about it. You know, the Sackick or whatever his name is. He's oh, Saric? Dario Saric? Saric. Saric. Yes, Saric. He'd be a good player. Yeah. I don't know. We'll, we'll just wait and see. Hey, Pat, on so Vikings and Rams here in, I don't know, an hour and a half or so. And then yes. after, are you, do you sense that this is another classic make it to the NFC championship game and then melt down the next year situation? Or do you still think they could uh, turn this thing around here, even though they play the Rams and the Eagles? Be, I wouldn't be shocked if they win tonight uh, with the Rams not having uh, either their cornerbacks and the Rams being all giddy and thinking how good they are. And uh, now we'll have to find out if the makeshift offensive line with the makeshift offensive line coaching staff and the new offensive coordinator can come up with some uh, protection scheme that will give them a chance. But uh, I don't know. They got Sue and Donald in the end, so that takes up in the middle. That takes up four blockers. So who are their ends? Do they have any killer? Kyle uh, said no. The, no, the, no, they don't. They, so it's it's the middle. So you don't. So they make definitely. Yeah. Uh, hey, Pat, Patrick, what's your what's your favorite uh, Vikings Los Angeles Rams tale of all time? Oh, well, it, it has to be when the first time they ever came up here and uh, George Allen was coaching the Rams of Vikings' first uh, playoff, uh, the, the first playoff game up here, and it was going to be colder than hell. And uh, the Rams came up here to practice to get rid of the cold, and Bud flew the Vikings to Tulsa so it wouldn't be so cold for them to practice. Now, but they got down there and they got in a sleet storm, so it didn't work out. But uh, we had, uh, uh, I was in St. Paul land, of course, and uh, Ralphie Reeve practicing at McAllister. And they had put big tarps up all around the field, right, to keep no, and no prying eyes away. And Ralphie's sister, or 
some relative of Ralphie's lived across the street in like a second or third level, so he could he could look in there with binoculars, and he was just reporting stuff, even though he didn't even know what he was watching. But he we we had stuff in the St. Paul paper that was strictly intended to drive George crazy because somebody <laughs> was watching, you know, because somebody was actually watching. And of course, George was crazier than a hoot owl, and uh, and. But Ralphie was over there uh, looking through binoculars at the practice, and then the Vikings pulled that out against the mirror, and uh, they had some unbelievable victories against the Vikings. Well, I don't know if that was the game or the one. It might have been the second time they were up here, and they drove all the way down the field, and he ended up false starting on the half-a-yard line, and then they went to kick a field goal, and it got blocked, and, uh, and the Vikings... Every time they got him up here, they figured out a way to beat him. And then, of course, in 77, they finally had them out in Los Angeles to play him in, the, in, the, in, a, in a playoff game. And then was, that, that was the, the mud was bowl. The, yeah, I was just going to ask the about bowl. the mud bowl. Yeah. yeah, they had a monsoon for a week. And then Bobby Lee was quarterbacking. Tarkington was hurt. And they played in the mud, and the Vikings beat them again. Yeah, we never, we never get any good mud games anymore, do we? Even oh, the, I know. The groundskeepers are oh. too good. Well, that or they'll not play, you know. They'll say that, uh, you know, there's lightning in the area or some damn thing. Back well, then, half the teams even... in the league are playing on playing on turf now. They're playing on the sure. synthetic grass now, so you don't even really get a chance for mud anymore. That's right. But, uh, yeah, it'll. Uh, I think it'll be a hell of a game. I think the Vikings aren't. That, that no-show on Sunday is, uh, you know, we can probably put some of the credit to uh, the Everson drama and some of the credit to not give it, you know, not thinking there was a possibility they were going to lose and some of the credit of Buffalo not being as rotten as we thought they were. So. Yeah. Where are you at but, with this Everson Griffin stuff and, and the way that story has unfolded, Pat? Well, I'm just, uh, you know, my here's how I am with it. That we're, uh, I've read stuff paying tribute to the Vikings for, uh, you know, their concern and all that stuff. We have no idea how the Vikings handled this. And uh, I guess I said this on Twitter. And if they indeed sent this guy packing uh, last Thursday uh, away from practice without accompanying him away, uh, then that was uh, really idiotic. If, If the guy's been having erratic behavior for that time, you can't just, Tell him to get in his SUV and take off. If, they, if that's what happened last Thursday, we that's the way the police report read. There, I mean, that's the way some of the s- stories have read. So I, I'm not sure, but the Vikings, I think, are trying to take far too much credit for uh, uh, how much concern they have here. Yeah. I, if, if, if the guy was acting strange for two or three weeks, uh, you know, somebody's got to uh, make sure that he's uh, getting some help, don't they? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Target I mean, Target Field tonight, sir. We got an opener, so you don't have to concern yourself with the Twins. <laughs> no, I'll tell you. Last night, it's it. I was there. I made it through. I, it's four innings, two hours and five minutes. It was. It, 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 thank God the Red Sox, the Tigers, once they got behind, said the hell with it and tried to make the outs as fast <laughs> as they possibly could. Otherwise, you could still be there. But here's the problem, gentlemen, with what the Twins are putting on the field right now. Johnny Field hit two home runs last night, and we don't care because we know Johnny Field is not in the picture, right? What makes this the 
most uninteresting team of all time <laughs> is that nobody is out there who we care about. Polanco will be here next year. It's true. Kepler will be here next year. And the rest of them are a bunch of guys that we don't care about. It's true. And that, so Johnny Field hit two home runs. Congratulations. See you next year in Pawtucket or someplace. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think uh, I think Astadio and his ninja-like quickness down the first baseline, <laughs> scaring the defenders into not turning a triple play was the highlight I of last think, night's game. You know, we've had protests all over this country, right, about various things. I think if the Twins take him off the 40-man, we should go. Now, I'm going to lead a picket down there. On, <laughs> we, around, we we're going to march around the statues. I'm going to go down there. Anybody can join me who wants me. I'm going to get a sign. We're going to boycott. Yes. We're going to. We're going to pick at these guys. Burn it down. Totally agree with that. Well, yeah. right. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> oh, no, Pat. Go, <laughs> no, Pat. Burn it all down. Come on. We're going to throw snowballs at the stadium. That's <laughs> what we're going to do. If they take him off the 40, man, all hell is going to break. Yeah. All right. We'll talk to you tomorrow, Pat. See you, RIC. Did I take you? had to take it too far, didn't you? Let's burn Target Field to the ground. Wouldn't go that far. Oh my God! All right, we have we have inactives. Two interesting ones of note. One from each team to get to when we come back. That's right. We're coming back. We're on until seven o'clock because the Vikings play tonight, and uh, the football hour will be extended by another hour. Mackie and Judd.